The Chicago White Sox are the latest team to at least float the idea of leaving their home on the south side of Chicago. Plus, we have MLB Hall of Famer Tom Glavin on later in the episode. It's Wednesday, August 23rd. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. The White Sox are now the fourth MLB team this year and the second major team in their own city to pull a should I stay or should I go. Joining me now to discuss is front office sports writer Doug Greenberg. Welcome, Doug. Hey, Owen. Thanks. Uh, good Good to be back on. Thanks for having me uh, joining you from Chicago, where I am based. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You can give us the live report. Uh, what is going on with the White Sox? Yeah, live report is so, in so much as I have been to the stadium once this season, uh, and I've been at least once every year. But yeah, no, the report is that, um, you know, White Sox owner Jerry Reinsdorf, who, you know, uh, no no stranger to controversy, uh, he basically floated the idea that the the White Sox might be you know, looking for a new home, whether that's in Chicago, whether that's in the Chicago suburbs or even outside of Chicago, you know, Nashville always gets floats around, always gets floated around. Um, But, you know, they're, they're six years out from the, from their lease with expiring, they lease through the city, they don't own the stadium. So, you know, the team spokesman from the team basically said, yeah, like we're six years out from the lease expiring. This is, this is about when the, the conversations would start. So, you know, it's entirely possible that Jerry Reinsdorf is just kind of lobbing the ball in for hardball, you know, trying to get a better lease from the city um, to keep them at guaranteed rate field. But, um, you know, it it could always turn into something. You never know. Right. I mean, it feels like at this point, he's just, you know, why take options off the table, you know, that that hurts your leverage other than it's not great for, for goodwill and all that. But, you know, once you have a deal all that stuff tends to get patched over. Um, and yeah, I don't know if, how much more we have to say about this, but um, but yeah, now the White Sox joined the Brewers, the Rays, and of course the A's in, and the A's are, you know, are, are mostly out the door. The other teams are kind of just leaving open the possibility that they could leave um, so that they can get some nice public money for their new stadium. Yeah. And, you know, that was the thing is when I was I was filling in for you last week um, and I talked to uh, Eric Fisher about the Brewers situation and that was pretty much his assessment was he's like, I really don't think that the Brewers are going to leave. It wouldn't make any sense for them. Their stadium's fine. You know, they have some repairs to do to it. Um, But that's just the name of the game these days is you got to play hardball. You got to get the best deal for yourself. And so that's what he believed the Brewers were doing it. You know, we're a little too far out to say anything either way, you know, six years away from the from the end of the lease. But my guess is that was is probably what the White Sox are doing as well. You know, it's it's about a 30 year old stadium. It's a little over 30 years old. Um, it's I like I said, I've been to it many times over the last few years. Um, it's fine. It, there's no, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, it's a great stadium. Good food. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we'll see. Maybe this is just a, a negotiating tactic and not an actual threat to leave. Yeah. And I also saw kind of mixed in in the reports around this that maybe Reinsdorf just ends up selling the team, which just given that he's 87 and this lease runs another six years, that makes some sense, too. Yeah, you know, I could see it. Uh, Reinsdorf, he, he's been in the Chicago ownership scene for for a very long time. He also owns the Chicago Bulls. Um, so, 
Yeah, I mean, selling the team, you know, especially for a White Sox team that's sort of a little bit stagnant right now, it's a that is also an entirely a possible thing that could happen here, and and maybe that person is committed to stay, keeping them at guaranteed rate field, but you know, I guess we'll just have to wait and see how it unfolds. Yeah, absolutely. Doug Greenberg, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Up next, I spoke to MLB Hall of Famer Tom Glavin. Glavin was one of three Hall of Famers that fronted the Atlanta Braves rotation for much of the 90s, and now he's a part-time analyst on Valley Sports South. We talked about broadcasting, his playing career, and he gave me an answer I was not expecting when I asked him about his choice nearly 40 years ago to play baseball instead of hockey. That conversation is coming up next. All right. Very excited now to be joined by Hall of Fame pitcher and Valley Sports South analyst, Tom Glavin. Welcome, Tom. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you. So you're back in the booth this year after taking a year off. How much of an adjustment has the pitch clock been for broadcasters? It's been an adjustment. You know, I I feel like um, in in past years when you had uh, a lot more dead time, so to speak, in between pitches, um, you could talk more, you could show more highlights, things of that nature. And I think now everything's just a little bit more condensed. Um, you know, the, the production crew, um, you know, kind of has their work cut out, cut out for them trying to get, um, replay clips ready, find an appropriate time to get them in between pitches. Um, and then we got to get our thoughts in before the next pitch. So I think everything's just a little been a little bit more condensed, but, um, I would say maybe the first series that I did, uh, it seemed uh, like things were a little bit rushed and you were trying to find your way around a little bit. But after that, I think everybody's adjusted pretty well. Yeah, I mean, I think that was, that was true for the players, too. Um, other than the pitch clock, which new rule feels the biggest to you? Um, I like the no shift. Um, I feel like it's brought... Um, small ball, so to speak, back into the game, you know, it's made the, it's made the ground ball single sexy again. Um, you know, when, when, with the shift, the way that it was, you know, that was the way the guys tried to beat the shift was hit the ball over everybody's head and out of the ballpark. So it, uh, led to a lot of, uh, con- uh, strikeouts and no contact and, you know, kind of a little bit of a boring game. And, and I think now, um, where there's a little bit more room out there for guys to actually, maybe hit the ball on the ground, get a base hit. Uh, it's become a bigger part of the game. And uh, I think the, you know, so-called small ball, whether it be a, a single and a stolen base and that kind of stuff has um, made a comeback in the game, which I think is great. Yeah. <clears throat> I love having steals be more of a part of a game. Um, so yeah. Just a lot of fun. So for tomorrow's game against the Mets, you'll be joined by Jeff Francoeur, Chipper Jones and John Smoltz and no play-by-play announcer. What's it like when all of you get together? You know, it's fun. I mean, uh, you know, when they came to us uh, with this idea initially, I think we were all uh, obviously on board with it, but I think we were all curious as to how it was going to go and uh, how it was going to be received to some extent. And um, by all accounts, I think people enjoyed it. Um, It's a little bit weird, um, you know, when you're sitting there doing a game um, and there's no play-by-play. You know, I think all of us, um, you know, at least me, John, and Chipper, I mean, me, John, and uh, Frenchie, you know, we're all doing games, we're all doing analyst stuff. And, and, you know, we're accustomed to having a play by play guy, uh, and action that we kind of react to during the course of the game. So, you know, when we're sitting there, at least for me, it it was noticeable that we didn't have a play by play guy. Um, but I think at the same time, you know, that was the design. Uh, the intent was, 
that we would do the game and it would be conversational. It would be, hey, you guys are at a bar watching a game and people are watching with you uh, make it fun. And I think we accomplished that. I think people enjoyed it. Um, I think we'll probably have a little bit of tweaking to some of it this go round. Um, you know, at least reminding people what the score is at the end of an <laughs> inning or coming out from the next break, you know, that kind of stuff. But uh, I still don't think there's going to be a ton of play by play. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of <laughs> the Manning cast, I think, because I mean, now there are a bunch of these kind of uh, player casts uh, that in almost any sport where, or yeah, you just let the fans watch the game. They can mostly tell what's going on. Um, and, and yeah, you just get to kind of be a fly on the wall for, for some old pros you know, getting their thoughts. Do you think different stuff comes out of you? Like different analysis, different different ways of putting it, whatever it is when you're in that setting? I think so, you know, because I think that a lot of times, um, you know, when you're doing analyst work in a game, you know, obviously you're you're reacting to what you see. Um, so much of it is your is your experience um, and and how it applies to what just happened. Um so when you're in the booth with all those guys, it's the same thing, but then you're getting their feedback and you're reacting to their feedback. Uh, so that's where it becomes a little bit more conversational. You know, I might, I might see something one way as an analyst and Chipper might see it different being he was a hitter and it's a different perspective. And that, you know, that creates uh, conversation and you feed off of that. And, and I think that's where it, um, I think that's where it was fun for people was to hear that kind of back and forth. Um, but, you know, also there's an element of, uh, you know, a bunch of uh, older guys get together and we tell stories. So, uh, you know, I think that was a fun part of it too. Sure. Yeah. And do you think there's more room to innovate in the MLB broadcast? I mean, it's so well established, but at the same time, you know, we're seeing new things like this. So, oh yeah. Do you think there, there's more experiments coming? You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, you know, I, I, there's certainly, I think, room for um, some new things. I mean, look at every, everything about um, sports is changing, right? Certainly, baseball. Um, it's all whether it's all the rule changes on the field now, or uh, the way the game is played now. It's much more flair. Guys are, um, you know, a lot more outgoing about their celebrations when they do something well. Much more so than when I played. Um, so I think that's, you know, that's all a part of it. I think you're always trying to appeal, um, to your fan base and not always your established older fan base. You know, a lot of times it's how are we connected with young, younger viewers. Um, so yeah, I think you'll, you'll see teams maybe trying to do some more and more of this stuff. I think the, the, the difficult thing is going to be to find the balance, um, you know, it's one thing to do, you know, for the for the Manning brothers to do what they do on Sunday night. It's one game, right? Baseball, there's so many games. And, and you know, uh, how do you pick and choose which ones you're going to do it with? But, um, you know, I think it'll be more on an individual club basis, probably. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, usually the broadcasters aren't the ones making the news. But recently we had this situation where an Orioles broadcaster was suspended reportedly for saying something entirely factual and mildly critical of the team. That got a lot of attention. But it also, I think, shone a light on booths like SNY, uh, the Mets broadcast team, that is known for, you know, not being disrespectful, but, you know, calling it like they see it, if, you know, whether that's that's harsh or, or, or glowing. Um, do you kind of come down on, on any part of that spectrum of uh, how 
broadcasters and analysts should approach their home team? Um, you, I mean, yeah, no. I mean, look, I, I, I think I was like a lot of people. I had a friend send me the video of the Orioles announcer, and you know, my first reaction was, "Did I miss something? You right. know, what, yeah. what, what did I miss?" Right, and I, yeah. and I think that was everybody's reaction. Right, I, I didn't see anything wrong. Uh, with what he said. And, and I think that's the key, right? It, it's, it's a fine line when you're being, when you're broadcasting uh, for a, a local team and a home team. And, and it's a fine line between, you know, being a homer um, and, and being, uh, you know, legitimately critical, so to speak, or objective. Right. And I think you can walk that line. I mean, look, you're announcing for that team, right? You're their team, that team's announcer. So you're naturally going to have some sense of, you know, being a homer and rooting for that team. But at the same time, you have to be honest because your viewers aren't going to take you seriously if you're not, you know, if things aren't going well, then you can't just sugarcoat it and try to make the person at home think everything's great because they're not going to take you seriously. They're not going to buy it. So um, I think the key is, and I've always felt this way, whether it's about individual players or teams or whatever, you know, you can be critical without being personal. And I think that's where you have to kind of draw the line. You can point out that, you know, Hey, this guy made a mistake uh, or this wasn't a good play. And here's why, you know, not that, Oh, that was just a bad play. That guy's terrible. You know, what the hell was he thinking? And I think the same is true on a club basis. You, you know, you, you obviously want to point out the good things, but it's look, it's not all rosy all year long. There are going to be some things that aren't going well at certain times, and you have to point those things out. But I think you can do it in a way that is, you know, informative to the fan at home uh, without being, again, overly personal or critical of the team as a whole. Uh, and I think you can walk that line. And I feel like that Orioles announcer was walking that line, but somewhere somebody didn't like it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you on all that. Uh, and of course, this Braves team hasn't, there isn't much bad to say about them right now. Um, yeah, they're, they're uh, pretty locked in. Do um, you think more teams are going to try to copy this Atlanta model? Of, I mean, you kind of had it in the 90s, but you know, they, they find these young or youngish players and just lock them in it's like an eight year deal or something. Um, obviously, that's, you know, you're really committing to that player. You have to be pretty sure that this is your guy. Uh, but yeah, do you think we're going to see more copycats now that this is working so well? Uh, you know, look, I think so. I mean, look, I think to a certain extent, um, the Braves are a team that people have tried to copy, right? To your point, um, in the 90s when I was playing, um, you know, everything we had was built around pitching. Um, had a ton of pitching in our organization. We obviously drafted some really good position players as well, like Chipper and Andrew and, and you know, Javi Lopez and these guys. And and then the organization was really good at developing players. And I think that that became a model for other teams that, you know, they wanted to try and, and kind of emulate that same thing to where they drafted and developed and built from within and, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and, and built their organization that way. And, and, you know, obviously that's something the Braves have to do. They can't uh, go out there and spend the kind of money the Yankees and the Mets and the Red Sox and Dodgers and these teams are spending. Um so that's the formula that works for them. And, and, you know, it seems to me when I was playing uh, for a time there, the Cleveland Indians tried to do that. They were, they locked up a lot of their younger players. Uh, and it was something I think that teams started to try to copy uh, after the Indians did it. But, um, you know, again, to your point, there, there's some risk on both sides of it. When you sign a young guy, you know, you look at, you know, some of the young guys, the Braves have signed, um, 
you know, yeah, it, it's uh, it's a risk for the player in the sense that if you continue to do what you've been doing, you're probably leaving some money on the table on the back end of that contract. And it's a risk for the team because, well, if this kid doesn't pan out to be what you're projecting him to be, uh, you know, then you got some dead money on a contract at the end. So it's a, you know, it's a little bit of a risk for both, both sides of it. But I think the Braves obviously uh, with the guys they have, they've, they've done a fantastic job of, of, of locking these guys in for the foreseeable future. So they've got a tremendous nucleus that they're going to build around and, uh, assuming these guys all stay healthy and keep doing their thing, it's it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. As a Mets fan, I'm waiting for something like 2028 when you know hopefully at least some of them have slowed down a little bit, and who knows who's going to be on the Mets at that point? Right. Probably some very expensive guys. Um, so I, I don't think I need to ask who you think is going to come out of the National League this year, but feel free to surprise, surprise us. But um, is there an AL team that you think of as the the team to beat in that league? Well, I think the team in the American League that, you know, is a really good ball club that nobody knows anything about is the Orioles. Yeah. Um, you know, they are they're putting together a tremendous year. Um, I I'll I'll admit I can't can't tell you one guy in their starting lineup. Um, yeah. but I know I know they're having a fantastic year. So um, you know, that's certainly a team to keep an eye on. Um, you know, look, Texas is having a great year. Um, see if they can can, you know, kind of continue this uh throughout the year. Uh I don't think we've uh, seen the end of the Houston Astros. Um, I still think they're going to be a dangerous team. Um, you know, and then on the National League side, obviously the Braves, the Dodgers have been tremendously hot. Uh, so they're they're going to be a team to reckon with too. So, you know, look, I, I <clears throat> people ask me all the time. I, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't bet against the Braves right now, no question about it. Um, but that's kind of the the beauty and also the the part that scares you. Um, in postseason is in those short series anything can happen yeah. you know and you get a hot you get a hot pitcher or two early in a series and all of a sudden a good team is behind the eight ball you never know you were in addition to being drafted by the braves you were also drafted by the la kings um does any part of you ever wonder how things would have gone if you had chosen hockey a hundred percent um i don't i don't know that that there are you know, I'm still a big hockey fan. I watch a lot of Bruins games, so um, I don't. I don't know that there's ever a time that I watch a game and I don't wonder what would have happened. Um, I don't second guess it, obviously, because I, I can't imagine that hockey would have worked out any better than baseball did. But you know, yeah, I wonder. I mean, you know, you especially like I said, when I'm watching games, I watch them. I see guys out there. I look at guys that maybe uh, <clears throat> at the NHL play, level play the game the way I played it, obviously at a much higher level. Um, but yeah, I, I do that all the time in my mind, but, uh, I'll never, I'll never regret the decision. I can tell you that. Just to, to wrap us up, just give us one thing that, that you're looking forward to watching as this, this season plays out. Um, I, I mean, I guess, you know, the home, the Homer in me is looking forward to seeing if the Braves can keep this thing going. Right. And, and, um, you know, they're clearly the, the best team in baseball, um, certainly built for a deep run in the postseason and, and, you know, to go all the way. So uh, I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how this unfolds and, and how it all plays out in the postseason. All right, Tom Glavin, thanks so much for joining us. All right, my pleasure. Thank you. That's it for today. Thanks again to Doug Greenberg and Tom Glavin. Also, thanks to Doug, Eric Fisher, and David Rumsey for filling in for me when I was not feeling well. They did a fantastic job. And if you agree, shoot us a rating on your podcast platform. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow.